All right. <clears throat> Hello, everyone, and welcome to Import This, a podcast for humans. My name is Kenneth Wright, and today I am joined with the wonderful Trevor Tomesh of, uh, I don't know where you live. <laughs> uh, Regina, uh, Saskatchewan, Canada. Saskatchewan, Canada, of Canadian fame. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yes, uh, today we have no agenda, and we're old friends. Uh, he got in touch with me when I was early in the Python community and trying to become a big name, and he was looking for someone like me to help him learn Python, so I did. And uh, that was like probably tw over 12 years ago. And uh, I guess you got your PhD or you're working on it now? I'm finishing up my PhD here at the University of Regina. That's awesome. And uh, so what is your thesis on? Uh, oh, boy, that's a big question. Um, let's just say it's... Uh... <laughs> it should have a title, right? Like, it doesn't... It... <laughs> Can't you summarize it into one word? Systems theory, I guess, would be the uh, one word or two words. Okay. Yeah, so systems theory. So systems theory for how is it applied? Um, well, systems theory is applied to interactive hardware, uh, specifically stuff to do with uh, like Arduino and DIY hobbyist electronics. And how is that? Uh, being evaluated. How's that being evaluated? Well, it's a sort of theoretical field. Um, so essentially, I'm taking some really, really old math from the 1940s uh, and trying to bring it up to speed with uh, other contemporary ideas, um, especially pertaining to the maker movement. Oh. Um, was actually a what kind of math from the 40s? I'm really interested in yeah, this. Yeah, no worries. Um, well, back in the 1940s, there was this movement to take all of the different uh, disciplines and unite them under one banner, and they were calling that general systems theory. And so the idea is that you can take... Is this similar to the single... Um, what What is it called? The When you have the single equation, or, you know... They're doing it in physics. The grand They're unified. Trying to have a single. Uh, yeah, the grand theory unified for theory. everything. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So this was uh, like the forties equivalent of that. Yeah, the, well, the grand unified theory in physics. I actually have a bachelor's degree in physics. Um, the uh, grand unified theory of physics was trying to unite quantum mechanics and general relativity. Um, now, general systems theory was actually founded by a biologist um, by the name of uh, Ludwig von Bertalanffy. And uh, his idea was that you could potentially describe biological, physical, chemical, electronic systems all using the same type of language. And so back in the 19... Yeah, well, so back in the 1940s and 1950s, oh, they wow. started fiddling around with this idea. So that's kind of like looking at like a it, like a human as a series of inputs it's and outputs, exactly that. and then having some kind of yeah, it's a it's exactly what, what it would be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. well, and it, it's kind of uh, so you have in computer science, which my PhD work is that's the uh, what will be my PhD here in a few months. Um, but uh, in computer science, you have kind of like two disparate sorts of fields uh, looking at how people and non-computer systems interact with computers, and those two are cybernetics and human-computer interaction. And uh, 
human-computer interaction that looks at uh, interactions with machines as almost human conversations. But uh, cybernetics takes the other approach and it says, okay, well, let's look at humans as if they were computers. And uh, systems theory kind of bridges... Systems theory kind of bridges the gap between the two by saying, no, let's look yeah. at everything like it's a system. I see. And, but it's so I am. So you're taking that to, third stance. Uh, yeah. Essentially take that third stance that if we look at everything as if it's a system, um, meet in the middle somewhere between machine and man, uh, then we can potentially, breakthrough with all sorts of um well essentially new philosophies and new ways of looking and designing things that's really interesting i i like that the the deliverable is philosophies because i think that that's the basis that's one of the mm -hmm. bases of um science right like you can't have science without philosophy mm -hmm. and so yeah, that's, you start with you start from the uh, no, ground that's up. No, that's exactly you're going it. through the other side. If that makes sense, like instead of okay, so I think I follow you. <laughs> uh, so you you start with philosophy, exactly. and then you and start building I've sciences never been one based on to, the new understanding. Like just take a very specific problem and say, I'm going to learn more about this very specific problem, and then uh, come up with a superficial answer. I've always been someone who has to drill down to the very core of what makes a discipline tick and then work from there, which is a huge pain in the ass for me. But, uh, so is your, is your contribution as a PhD student? Um, cause you know, they say what, you know, having a PhD is like being able to make an mm -hmm. impressionable mark on humanity, like contribution wise. Right. Um, so if you're doing um, that, uh, is your contribution sure exactly mainly one of taxonomy? Like that. Well, what I mean is it sounds like the results of your work would be a reshaping of the way we label things as opposed to, um, I mean, it, it but maybe I'm misunderstanding. Like it's, it's an approach to no, how that's we, okay. that's um, okay. No worries. So, I know. Yeah, I think I, I think I understand follow, what you're saying. Uh, the way that we look at it. things. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think. Well, that's uh, the most important thing, or not the most important thing, but that is an an important thing is that first you get your definition straight. And one of the problems with systems theory is you have sort of two different eras of systems theory. You have the early systems theorists, which uh, their work was in trying to define systems using mathematical models, like um, using uh, set theory and then the later system and then the later systems theorists are more like experimentalists and the experimentalists they yeah. take a look at inputs and outputs and then reverse engineer the system kind of the black box method of engineering um and so my work fits in sort of in between them um trying to bridge the gap and that involves being very uh careful about definitions um because there's a misunderstanding between what we meant by systems and what we now mean by systems, at least in my estimation. Is it weird? 
Uh, nope. Now this I have is, a question about uh, this, this math is, on the forties. Is, is it uh, written in COBOL? Set theory, so it's not or even, There's like no programming involved in that. Um, and yep. Oh, I see. I see. I see. How does this relate to Python? Well, my actual PhD so how does this relate uh, to has very Python? little programming. <laughs> so the PhD thesis, uh, other than the odd demonstrator here and there, uh, doesn't use a whole lot of Python. However, I use Python a lot in what I do mostly, which is teaching. I spend most of my time as a sessional lecturer. I'm teaching three, three different classes this semester. Um, and then I have two over this... Yeah, and I use Python a lot for that um, currently. That's wonderful. Yeah, well, I'm, what, what level yeah, well, I'm of classes a, are you teaching? Uh, are these like classes. more advanced um, CS classes or an 800 or what? level class for like graduate students? Um, so I'm teaching a grad level course currently on uh, on um, what is it? Interactive hardware. Uh, which doesn't really involve much Python. I'm teaching two undergraduate courses as well. One of those uh, is interactive simulation methods, which is all done in Python. Um, and then I'm teaching another course uh, on Unity game development, which of course is done in uh, C Sharp. But, uh, but currently I'm working on developing a couple of new courses, one on information theory yeah. and another one on data acquisition and analysis from the internet. Um, and both of those are, well, both of those are using Python. Um, those are both uh, grad classes that I'm teaching over the summer. Oh, wow. Information Can about you tell us a little bit about like information it. theory? I think that our audience um, would probably yeah, yeah. Uh, information, information theory. Information well, information that. theory is kind of this old branch of science that originated with uh, Claude you. Shannon um, back in the 1940s, 1950s, when they were starting to think about rather than the universe as an analog place, um, they're starting to think about the universe as a digital place as opposed to uh, the way that we've traditionally thought of it. And so the idea behind information theory is that pretty much everything can be described in terms of yes or no questions. So, for example, you can ask the question. Yeah, well, every question. So the definition of information. Is so in other words, everything could be binarily and encoded. The way that we resolve uncertainty is by asking a yes or no question. And so you can ask a question like, is it warm out today? And the answer would be yes or no. Um, but of course, implicit within that, you have to define, well, what do you mean by warm? And so you'd have to get specific. Is it greater than 30 degrees Celsius today? Uh, and then, yeah, and then the question, the answer to that question would be today, no, here in Canada, uh, or here in Regina, no. Um, yeah. So it wouldn't be warm today. So that's the answer of a yes or no question. And of course, when you have a yes I'm under the impression that there's a programming language that's built around this idea, and I think it's called. Let me think. If you can remember the name, please tell me. Uh, mm. What is it called? It's in a. It's an eclectic old 
um, programming language where you write logic statements, basically, and it resolves them. Uh, I'm drawing and a blank there. It's called um, Q-Base? Uh, no, Q... No, I, I'm, like that. I'm mostly... Never, most of my programming okay, is so you don't done know about it in Python. Or, so or I, the I, uh, name is not familiar. I think I think you're right though. I think you're I think you're on the right track though. Oh, okay. Never mind. I thought because uh, uh, physics. Background, yeah, I think yeah. there's an academic oh, language. Math. I assume that maybe minor. you had played with some academic languages since you're come from an academic background. But you're not a CS background. You're a math background, right? Yeah, you could say that. Well, in my mind, physics is math. I mean, or math is physics. I guess physics is is definitely well. Math mm -hmm. is an inherent. Yeah, math is. Um, let me see if I can describe. Yeah, this. Math, math. Well, is, math is math, math is, is the language. And physics appears the, to be. Math is the language by yeah, which the universe the is difference. governed, and physics is the result of that governance. I suppose you could say. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. It's like a feedback loop. The math is the uh, is the set of rules, the, the natural law, if you will. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would be um, and and the serialization of, uh, of it. Gosh, what's his name? And then uh, um, so there's actually a mathematical universe theory which, which is, I really like. Have uh, you seen calculating that? space? I'm trying to think of his name. Uh Yeah, I think that sounds right. He, um, there's this guy, I just wrote, read, read the Wikipedia article on it, and I thought it sounded basically like my worldview, which is that, you know, if you have a, hmm. a function or an object that's so complex, it would, it would, uh, hmm. it would perceive itself as being conscious and having a world around it, basically, you know, and so, and that's kind of, it's subroutines is what it calls them. Uh, and so that's what that it, its theory is that we're subroutines within that a giant kind of like... um, computational construct, basically, that's much mm -hmm. larger than us and and that we play an important role in, if you look at it that way. Because information sounds kind of primary in the evolution of humanity, right? Like that's well, what differentiates us from other animals well, is that we can write things down. Sorry, the concept of information um, actually in... in uh... with our, Thoughts and ideas, in, uh, and so we can like Shannon's Shannon uh, Shannon's systems and... or sorry Shannon's information theory. Go ahead. Uh, is almost a physical rather than an a, a subjective thing. You can measure it. Yeah, that's where I was kind of going more into a idealistic place there, because then if you have mathematical universe theory, that means that any mathematical construct does well, exist. No, I don't necessarily say that. I mean, materially um, appear. There are so certain that's things where you that get multiverses uh, and stuff. But you that's, want to get metaphysical you're going in the opposite direction. Um, which there is good. are certain it's conclusions that you can draw, <laughs> I suppose, from thinking about the universe in terms of both information and systems. 
And if you want to take that, extrapolate that and apply that towards, I don't know, maybe a personal psychology or a personal metaphysics, uh, that's perfectly fine. Of course, and it... Hmm. Well, yeah, and that's, that's something that actually I'm, uh, as a computer scientist, kind of interested in is or personal, the maybe idea personal of ethics, the narrative. So the overarching narratives uh, that essentially have constructed Western society. So for example, like uh, the New Testament um, would be a good example. Uh, how, how those stories, well, how those stories, how that information as a narrative, how it between uh, because these stories, for example, the Genesis yes. stories, I talked about the New Testament um, because I was looking and at so it. So you're looking Testament, at that as a unit Old of Testament. information? Um, the Genesis stories are really, really old stories, about as old as humanity itself, right? And they predate literacy. Yeah, or even, um, I think actually, I think actually the, the earliest one would be like... Um, uh, to, to, to do yeah, the, the only things the, that are older are um, exist. I can think of the in, name of the um, god, uh, Tiamat. Um, what is that? that um, Mesopotamia. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go, S Samaria. Mes yep, yep, yep. Exactly. Um, so these 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 legends or myths throughout history before people were literate, they Are had to be handed down uh, from yeah, person to person via spoken. <laughs> a spoken word of course uh and the one thing that it's kind of cool in my opinion or at least in my yeah in my opinion is that every single person that those stories pass through in order for those stories to be passable between the different information processors that are the human mind so human mind human mind generation to generation the different information processors passing it down they have to send it through a series of filters in order to distill out only the most important parts of the story. And so I, th I think a lot can be learned by looking at an information theoretic, uh, by taking an information theoretic or a systems theoretic uh, approach to the old narratives that um, have made their way down the mm. centuries until someone finally wrote them down. Um, yeah, Jung. Yeah, yeah. No, this is. Yeah, yeah. No, this is. This is. This would be a. I don't know what you'd call it. It's like a computational Jungian psychology or something like that. Um, but yeah, no, I'm a huge fan of I think Carl Jung Young um, and the you. ideas of the. Uh, the idea of the. Yes, definitely. Um, the different archetypes as an optimization problem. So looking at it from a computer science point of view, you could see an archetype as a, the result of an optimization problem. Um, well, it's just, it's the same thing. Oh, I see. I would look at them as an opposite, like that they're a primary, um, dimension within our thought psyches, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, well, no, I would agree with you wholeheartedly. Space, I mean... then they're, then they're just Sorry, these like constellations in our mind, basically, and then uh, that's burned in through like centuries of genetic um, memory, if that exists. Mm. If that is, yeah, no, thing. and I agree. Yeah, 
and yeah, and I I, I see it as an yeah, optimization. I, I, I'm not saying that, in that I disagree with you. I'm um, saying that it's it's interesting how we, in that we perceive the same thing in these opposite computationally directions. speaking. There's a reason it's, why they cool. exist across all cultures. Because I mean, these archetypes it, aren't it is the same necessarily thing, uh, aren't necessarily rooted in Western culture. You have cultures all across uh, the world that have a lot of the same stories, and I think that's because, and I think that's because. Um, Sorry, I think that's I think that's because from a information theoretic point of view, um, and of course this this is this is mostly very undeveloped. Uh, these are mostly yeah. very undeveloped, unfiltered ideas that I'm putting out I know, right I, now. I, um, oh, go ahead. But uh, from Sorry. an information from an information theoretic point of view, only the most only the most uh, how shall I say only the most optimal. I guess archetypes would be able to survive if you're sending the signal uh, of course. The information through a series of filters that is, you know, generation to generation word of mouth. And that's one thing that's really interesting about these stories is that they're so condensed because they have gone through uh, millions of different information processors. I mean, every human mind is a manifestation of the most powerful information processor that we know. And without writing down these stories, they have to be filtered from mind to mind. And so what you wind up with, and this is, of course, absolutely conjecture, but what you might wind up with is the optimal story, which is the archetypes that fit within our psyche and are conducive to a, I guess, optimal way of being, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, psychology and computer science are actually very similar. And um, I would fit it a, under the realm uh, of psychology. When I got then, started here at, at the point, University of Regina, kind of I worked in the uh, Regina um, Regina Integrated Cognitive Experimentation between psychology Lab, and, and that was a collaboration um, between my supervisor, and uh, Dr. Daryl Hefting, and the uh, psychology department, and they were working together, computer scientists and psychologists, in order to do uh, some really interesting things, especially when it came to uh, like how people process visual stimulus, especially faces. And so we were able to model that, or not we, but they were able to model that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I. Yeah, and I think to, to well, me one of the biggest takeaways about, from um, my psychological thing about, studies uh, is that the emotions to me about, that you experience are um, stimuli, and psychology, and a lot of is. the uh, sciences. Um, is that it's easy note. to find similarities that, between them. And that's where the most well. interesting problems, in my opinion, lie: is the similarities between psychology and computer science. Um, the similarities between biology and computer science or biology and mathematics, et cetera, et cetera. These are where the most interesting problems lie. And I'm very motivated by psychology these days. I've been um, reading and listening to a lot of different uh, 
contemporary psychologists, Jung, of course, um, but uh, especially like um, Jordan Peterson has been a huge influence on uh, my way of thinking lately. Um, and uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, of course. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so I've, I've been, even though I'm a computer scientist and I'm trained in physics, um, I've gained a lot of respect for psychology over the last few years uh, because some of the articulated ideas that have been coming out of psychology lately um, are incredibly, incredibly Hi, interesting, and I can see all sorts of applications. Yeah, that's wonderful. I I just had to apply these practices myself because of my mental illness. Um, and it's helped me a lot, uh, just understand myself. Mm -hmm. And I learn, I make observations of myself, and then I find reinforcement on the internet after I learn about myself. So like the idea that emotions are stimuli is an idea that I come up with. And then I find a, a white. Well, I don't like sitting in classrooms, that, actually. That's one, know, that's one kind of ironic thing idea. about me. So um, I can talk about I it. love teaching. <laughs> And uh, it's, uh, that's how my process works besides and teaching it works in my pretty life. well for me. So I, um, I'm definitely I, an autodidact. I like stand. Yes. I don't like, I don't like, I don't, I personally like don't like sitting in lectures. Like I mean, I've said so lectures great. are where the creative, oh, uh, did I lose you? Oh, okay. Sorry. My, uh, phone just did something weird. Okay. Um, as long as you're still oh, you're like standing in classrooms where it is. Um, yeah. So. I always say, you know, like lectures are where creativity and where creativity goes to die because uh, the modern lecture is just abhorrent. Oh, um, and I try to stay away from a lot of the tools that other people use uh, in order to get my point across, which is uh, especially like PowerPoint presentations. I do not do slideshows uh, because they are incredibly boring and very, very difficult, at least for someone like me to keep my attention because um, I have a very short attention span so they're just torture to me so i try to stay away from that yeah well and that's the thing is um i try to emphasize to my students that the only way to learn is of course to do things and i know there are different styles of learning um but honestly you can't really learn anything useful you can't learn problem solving by just sitting and watching somebody else <laughs> solve problems I'm you the same really way. have to be able to get in there and do it yourself. And that's what I, uh, well, and that's what I'm concerned about. My, I'm, I'm concerned. I'm not concerned whether or not my students can memorize facts and figures. That doesn't interest me at all. What interests me is whether or not I can give them a problem that's tangentially related to something that they've seen before, but something new and that they can generate some sort of a creative, interesting solution. It doesn't necessarily have to be a correct solution, yeah, but it I has feel to like be that's very true. a solution yeah. that they have put some sort of uh, critical thought into it. And um, so... Yeah, and I ran into that problem um, like a semester ago uh, with a bunch of my students who, who have been, uh, I guess, molded by the didactic 
method. Um, now the problem and, is if you're uh, actually properly evaluating your students in that way, that means that their yeah, scores will go really, down really, because a lot of it's, them it's don't actually hard to, learn. It's hard for someone like me things. who I once again I, I don't I don't value whether or not you can you can spout facts and figures at me. I mean I have the internet, I have a smartphone in my pocket. I don't need well that's it. And 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 my students, I don't actually I don't make them memorize things. I make them show up yeah. to class. Um, the way, on their a lot of day, people at that level uh, are probably with like that, all their I notes. Bet. I allow them to bring in their notes um, because, well, because I I'm not going to ask them questions that will be uh, that will be verbatim what's written in their notes. And some people just can't process that these days. That you know, oh my goodness, I actually have to sit down and solve <laughs> a problem. What is this black magic? Uh, but uh, I try to talk to people in industry as much as I can. Um, and one of the things that they have been telling me is that oh, that's people great. These days, students these days that are coming fresh out of university, one problem that they're having with is independent problem solving. And they have a lot of catch up to do when they get into industry. And uh, I think that's a shortcoming of the way that uh, the way that the education system set up. Um, <laughs> Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, I I bailed on the education system because I met people it was because the only offering was computer science at the time and that's just not a good degree for application development it's just not the same thing you know and so i dropped out because of that and i realized i could, could teach myself because uh, i met people who had that degree and they didn't know anything that i knew about you know how computers work <laughs> like how you know how linux works and how git works and you know and how like open source works and i was like mm -hmm. yeah i think i can do this on my own so i'm gonna save a bunch a bunch of money and and time and drop out and it was a good decision uh, but now these schools are coming out with a lot of software engineering degrees and really data science degrees so i i'm not as yeah and like, i don't disagree with anti-school um, as i used uh, to honestly be, these are things that but i'm uh, still very skeptical I of the entire process unless you're going loud. into I say, well look here's the um, thing i'm very pro um, the process if you're going into you have to uh, an institution, Actually, for example, if you're going to be a doctor, what is it that or if you're going to be a psychologist, you know, something that needs accreditation. I'm currently on that uh, path which I, will get me there. Then it makes and sense for a lot to of people, that you have to go to school the answer to that, the if they're in the university training, studying, say, computer science or physics school. or math or um, English or whatever, is but, no. Uh, but for the other things, I'm still very skeptical of the whole No, and it wouldn't be a huge deal. It wouldn't be a huge deal that they go and they spend all these, they spend these hours and hours um studying and learning uh if it didn't cost so damn much um that's that's the thing is so, yeah so i mean and that's the point of university this is one thing that people don't really say very often and they really should but the point of university is not necessarily supposed to aim you towards a job that's not the point of university the point of university is meant to uh, be to teach people how to think and how to think 
critically. Now, unfortunately, that's not what occurs a lot of the time. Um, a lot of the Yeah, exactly. If it didn't cost so much. Well, when I went to George Mason University, the first yeah. thing they did when I when I went to like the, um, you know, whatever the recruiting like concert thing they do is, you know, they, you know, they have that round for like fre incoming freshmen where they like talk it up. Yeah. And they, yeah. They well, and ideally, ideally, and, that's, like, I mean, the ideally the university teaches like, people all he does how is to talk about it does not necessarily job, get them, um, uh, you know, position like the success them rate towards, of people getting uh, specific jobs career. after before now, and after going to the, the school. The problem is, is that and it so costs so much. That was like the main pitch um, for the honestly, whole school. And uh, this is a publicly I'm by no means like a socialist, but and so, um, honestly, I, think, I feel I don't think that it's bad, the but university I, system, I think that if we want it to continue the to function, the university has changed. Maybe in the if you're way at an Ivy League, you're supposed have to change traditionally the way you seen think. it function. But that's really to get you a really good job. It should be either very inexpensive or free. I would be wholeheartedly behind that. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Now, yeah. And well, that's the thing. It, it, I, is all the courses are now, becoming free. One thing so, that I do see, uh, all you, have to do you make is a make very good this, point there. I've thought about this quite a bit, so you actually. Just pay a, small uh, like, a smaller fee. What is the role and, of the university like, you know, in the digital the age when everything is available taking online? The class on your own time. Because all that information is already uh, there. You know, um, I mean, I think credits, like there could be like my a standardized twofold. CS degree um, class. Ideally, it's twofold. First of all, it's uh, like, to put some sort of sanity could, check on could, um, people, like that, whether or not they have actually work, um, been able uh, to take that uh, test simulate or accumulate, degree, say, accumulate the data, like maybe $2,000 uh, or something, maybe but, integrate, there we go, you know. integrate um, the facts and figures that they have learned um, through, you know, places like uh, online universities. But more importantly, the second point, more importantly, is that the university is a place where new in, where new yeah. ideas are meant to uh, be generated, and mm hmm. Mm hmm. And personally, um, I I find that a lot. Well, backing up, I find that a lot of uh, a lot of profs. Um, their primary focus is research, and they don't necessarily care that much about teaching. Now, I take... Yep. Yeah. 
Uh, sometimes. Um, the thing is, is that it depends on what kind of university yeah, you're at. Yeah, that's right. So uh, that's why the university was where originally formed, right? It was supposed to be like a, a hub and of And especially if there's some sort of uh, grant uh, that's given invention. to you by either the university or by some private entity uh, that determines where your intellectual property goes. Yeah, well, in my instance, um, at least at the University of Regina, um, the... Uh, so that's a All question I have. Ideas what that I come do, up do with, universities um, go after patents? To the University of like companies do? Uh, what's it called? Intellectual property policies. They all belong to the researcher, not the institution. Um, uh, yeah, well, I, I, I like it here. But um, going back to the uh, point, though, uh, of generating new ideas, uh, my university experience, I have found. That yeah. despite the fact that a lot of people would rather be researching than teaching, the case, right? uh, I, I kind of think that they're missing the point in that teaching, if you're doing it properly, which a lot of people don't, but if you're doing it properly, should be an opportunity for you to do live research on your feet because you have in front of you uh, a small representation of the what one percent of all of humanity who has ever been able to uh attain a high school degree let alone you know some sort of some some uh some level of university so you have i mean there are smart people in front of you and as a as a uh, teacher as a as a professor a lecturer your job should be to work with them with these ideas present research that you're currently working on and bounce ideas off of people i don't see any difference between speaking writing and thinking i think those are all essentially three different words for the same sort of process and i mm. think that uh honestly if you don't teach and you're not articulating your ideas in front of people I don't see how you can be very successful at research. Um, but, of course, that's just me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I feel like this all applies to like the the kind of work I do, which is like you know public speaking and open source work and stuff like that, um, which is kind of a big hobby for a well, lot of people. An, uh, um, it's an underrated like method of research. Seriously, I think that really I feel like I, you, know, you know take away my laboratory, give me a classroom. I would be much at a much Python more productive. And you get to give a talk about Python. You you really have the opportunity to learn from your audience um, when they ask questions and when just by seeing, gauging the room as you're giving the talk about how they feel about certain topics. Um, and that, and that's, it's a really good way to learn. Um, so I try my best to do that when I'm speaking. And I, I feel like mm -hmm. everything that you're saying applies to, to what we do too.
my problem with with the university method is that yeah. Well, I mean, novelty itself I feel is like something that's um, uh, not qualitative, not necessarily to be devalued. <laughs> like, um, like and, the kind uh, of research I like to do is. I, I, I agree with you there. Like, um, I mean, a lot of my work, my thesis is, is mostly a result of me sitting up, down and looking at looking at problems from first principles, step. and then and that's the basically thing that I find slows me down working a lot it out with a pen and saying, too, "I think this makes like, sense." And so it's it's a lot. And believe it or not, there are a lot of computer scientists who do that. They sit down rather than in front of a computer. They sit down with a pen and paper and just put their ideas on paper and then test those ideas and then test those ideas for logical consistency and stuff like that. But what you're describing actually, um, good. I always tell my students to do that. I always tell my students to do that. There's this paradigm that I've been playing with um, and I'm going to be teaching it over the semester, but going back to Python um, that was originally uh, introduced by Donald Knuth um, called literate programming. Uh, yeah, and you've you've heard of it, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, the aughts or whatever you want to call them. Yeah, it's it's using like Jupyter yes. notebooks or something like that. Um, I find that students. That's exactly what I do when I'm writing. Code I agree wholeheartedly. Like, yeah, well, and, and especially when we're dealing with something like computer, abstract, like you know, when I'm teaching information it. theory, uh, it's. I can't just say sit down and program me an information theory, you know, program. I mean, uh, no. What I can do is ask them. Okay, I, I yes, want you to explore course. this algorithm, but rather than just copying and pasting it from the I've internet, which is inevitably in a, in what a lot of people early, do, like, um, you need to be able them, to the, the explain to me not necessarily <laughs> how it works because yeah. I really don't care how it works. What I care about is why it works, and what I care about is. Um, yeah, Jupyter notebooks uh, are perfect rather for than that. How it works? Uh, why did you choose to use this algorithm? Um, so that really, to me, when it comes to assessing students' ability to think, which is once again going back to that, is the entire purpose of university. You need to be able to articulate uh, your choice of design. Uh, you need to be able to articulate your choice of algorithm and tell me not just what it does because the code any you know any good code you should be able to look at it and tell what it does just from looking at the code and that's the entire point of python that's why i absolutely love python is because well as a, from a from a teaching point of view um i absolutely love python because it's so easy to look and see you know this is what this is meant to do it's beautiful and elegant uh but the yeah, exactly, and that's a, and that's fine. It's raw logic, right? Um, but the thing is, is that you get you get all the you get all the the cruft out of the way um, when it comes to like other languages, and what you're left with is the raw algorithm. And then I say, okay, well, now that you have come up with the algorithm, I want you to explain to me why that algorithm works the way it works, <laughs> and um, like elaborate on that and so python notebooks are really good for that because they they read like you're reading a book and that was the entire idea that knuth came up with when he came up with the idea of literate you programming. can't pseudocode python it's already uh, pseudocode he wanted code 
to be able to be read like works of literature. And he was he had this idea of great works of literature, um, uh, programs being artifacts of great works of literature. And so uh, it, Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, exactly. Well, and I, you I, get I, I've really metaphysical your about it. So that programming because you know, the you universe itself very, operates according to uh, distant um, approach a to series it, if that makes of sense. Most people get really sucked in and right? they kind Everything of get adopted into, into the way we do things. your present moment. So your past feeds into your present, your present feeds into your future. Go into physics, for example. Need to do that more often, the I think. universe, to, look at to my knowledge, does not have a set of kinematic like equations that uh, sits down and, and solves every single time you bump a mug off the desk in order apps, to determine yeah. whether or not it. It's you know, useful shatters for solving on the floor. problems in everyday life. Uh, it is and that's, a series of time incremental, localized, simple interactions between all of the different particles in your local vicinity and uh, the the different forces on, uh, say, that coffee mug that you knock onto the floor. And if people can think like that, as opposed to getting all distracted by uh, frameworks and getting distracted by different libraries and having to worry about... Uh, all of the nasty, all of the nasty little particulars that you wind up running into, and in, say like C programming, for example. Not that I have anything against C, but um, you can actually begin to really think about problems, really think about the world, really think about your place in it, uh, in a new sort of uh, paradigm. Yeah. Um, so that's that's. I think that's probably to do with the fact that I didn't do an undergraduate in. Um, computer science. My undergrad was in physics. And so I kind of approach it maybe with a different uh, point of view. Yeah, I can see that. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I consider myself a scientist, right, first and foremost. Yeah, I wish there was a better word for that. Yeah, which is very valuable yeah. to me because you you definitely have a level of understanding that, you know, you called yourself a computer scientist. I like that. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know, know if I would consider I don't know how things work in industry per se, because, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I've been I, institutionalized essentially my entire life. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm more of a designer in, in than, a number of senses. anything else, I think. Uh, um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, like I, I see, 
I see. But I do consider myself a computer you, engineer. Least, and um, engineer, a I think true engineering to, involves um, a tremendous amount of design and art and, um, um, and you think, do a lot of writing. I think and traditional stuff. So those, those engineering. Not well, it's because the, the industry has kind of taken the word engineer and thrown it on everybody. So it used to be software developer. So I don't and now think it's software engineer, that engineer and really now does justice. We're all getting upgrades to our you know titles, basically. <laughs> Exit. Yeah, the problem is, is that when people say the word designer, they it conjures up images of, you know, like middle-aged white <laughs> women like going into apartments and like saying, "Oh, this pillow would look nice with this couch." Um which is very 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 uh I guess it's a it's a very terrible misrepresentation of what design is. I mean, Donald Norman, for example, I'm sure you've heard of Donald Norman. Um, yeah, me too. I think everybody yes. um, who has ever designed anything should have his book. But Donald Norman, obviously, is, okay. Um, yeah, if I was to look at myself just, holistically, I mean, he wrote the I book on design, but he takes a, a very designer or something like exactly, that. exactly. But he takes a very he takes a very um, methodical approach to it. It's it's uh, almost a scientific approach to it, even though it is design. So. Yes. It's a, it's a it's a decent book, but yeah, it it's uh, it's a it's a, uh, yeah, it's a yes, I have one of book. those um, books that is a required reading for human computer interaction. Uh, yeah, you read On like human me. design. Human design. <laughs> I just flip through it. Um, but yeah, so that's one thing about Python, though. Too going back to Python, um, yes. I mean, you can tell that yeah, the book is written you can in tell a very systematic was, way. It kind of approaches every facet of, of the problem the from every angle, as opposed to just. And I haven't uh, read it, but I've I've read it's in its table of contents, you tell so a lot of I know what the went book's into about. <laughs> the design of it, as far as being able to uh, make it accessible for all sorts of different domains as opposed to domain-specific languages. And that's the thing I about agree. It I've flipped through it, and I've just read some passages, and it's biology, like every passage is just pure gold. Math it's great. Computer science. Um, and so <laughs> it allows you yeah, to exactly. not get caught up in domain specificity, which a lot of languages do. Like, um, for example, I would say R is very domain-specific for uh, data science. Um, or you could say Fortran is very domain specific for the, uh, well, not really a whole lot anymore, but, um, for like engineering, um, Pascal, for example, uh, just Cobalt for business, etc. Um, but Python, it's almost like they set a room full of poets together and said, all right, make, make a computer think. And then that's what they came up with. Well, of course, but I, uh, I, I, mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, I'm with you there.
Yeah, I'm with you there. My only gripe about Python, and this isn't necessarily about Python itself. This is about um, this is about uh, other domains. Is uh, I I really wish that even though I know MicroPython, for example, has has done a lot. Um, in, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's how I feel. Done but a I'm lot very in biased. So far as to bring Python to microcontrollers, but most of my but work I'm not. I mean, I, I really do feel like my unbiased opinion microcontroller is that systems. Definitely and the best. There's not a whole lot of Python for a high level language it. And that so you can get. Like I mean, it's pretty close to ideal. There's almost I have one. Yeah, change actually, about it. it's really you know. It's and there's things I learned from it's it. Really cool device, but um, so like the the pros outweigh the cons for sure. You know. Hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you forgot it, did you learn it? There's a philosophical question for you. Oh, okay. Yeah, are you familiar with the micro bit? Yeah, micro bit is really great. It's... I got into Arduino and I got into Raspberry Pi and I got into the micro bit and the micro bit was by far my favorite thing because it does all the things and you don't have to mess with all these wires. Yeah, and well, stuff, I have, don't know, know that. And, and the like, problem with the Arduino for me, is that it was it about the programming; a, it wasn't about uh, the wires and stuff. I understand how that, that works. Can use for flash memory. I wasn't. I wasn't learning um, much from that. I did you, learn that like every time. Even you go if through you a circuit, compile Python down to parallel, you still have a problem that I forgot. It's not <laughs> and, optimized um and that's uh yeah i would i would remember it if i was doing oh sure it I'm, I'm sorry i'm thinking so, about uh yeah, it's I like riding a bike because i teach a class um, <laughs> i teach a class on our so what i was going to say um, is that for, uh, uh that's actually yeah, the, the, the micro bit though lets you right now is, deploy uh, micro python code to it pretty about, easily uh, and that's uh, it's kind of fun actually i haven't done it on an arduino but i'm under the impression that it's experience in software and throw a hardware problem at them correct um it just t- yeah well it's fun to watch them melt down at first and then yeah <laughs> and then come to realize exactly well, they well make that's the thing all and, and that's actually parameters, sorry right? i'm getting a little get off track here from what i was originally right? talking about but um the uh the cool thing is, is that it really does drive home the idea that problem solving is just that problem solving. And if you know how to debug and problem solve in software, you can learn easily how to debug and problem solve in hardware. And uh, the methods and in life, exactly, oh, exactly. Well, I, that's, the thing. You, that's the thing. Going the, back the, to the same practices apply, that, but um, you don't realize it. science for like is so cross disciplinary is because the same methods apply. I mean, it's all <laughs> yeah, problem exactly. solving when you get down to it. And That's then they're like, oh, wait, I can debug this. And then they realize solving. that it's just and like code. In order to solve problems, you should like, be able to have. It takes uh, a while for it to you click. You should be able to uh, <laughs> articulate what the problem is and then propose a way to solve that problem. And the only. Yeah, I don't know what my I don't know what I I think my primary title is. Um, I mean, if I had to choose one, 
like if I had a if I had to have and some chisel onto my gravestone and today, reality what people. it would be, I would hope that they would put teacher, because uh, that's well, that's my that's 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 really my that is what I identify with as most is I identify as a teacher. Um, so, well, I I hope so. That was my aim. <laughs> Yeah, I think. Yeah, cool. I think your primary title is definitely information theorist. That's good. I like that. Well, you taught me a lot today. I know that. So you're doing a good job. <laughs> I hope the listeners enjoyed as well. Uh, thank you for coming on the show. It's been a delight. I think that we've uh, rec recorded long enough. <laughs>